Now, we've been in this series, as you know, if you've been around here for just a couple weeks, called Anxious for Nothing. We're going to end this series today, but in doing so, we want to do something a little bit different, and that is try to answer uh, at least a few of the questions that you might still have. And so uh, we're going to do what's called text-in questions. We do this every Thursday night, but we're going to do it uh, in all of our services, including this one. So you're going to see a number on the screen, and so if you have a question related to the topic of and worry, anxiety, you know, whatever it may be as we're talking, feel free to pull out your phones and text in that question in order for us to give us a few time at the end. Steve and I are going to come back up, and we're going to try to answer a few of those with the time that we have remaining. Uh, as I was thinking about this week, uh, I know that we've got major stresses that most of us can identify with. Like I think they say the top five stresses or few stresses in life is like if you move or if you get a new job or if you have a relationship change of any kind. Those are some of the top stresses that we can go through. But I started thinking, what are some of the common stresses that many of us experience at some point or another. And maybe you can identify if uh, one of these five that uh, they did a survey on, 2,000 you know, adults who might go through one of these five stresses in a common week or common month. How about forgetting your credit card while trying to pay for something? Okay, a little bit of stress or anxiety. If those of you are in school, it would be forgetting your homework. And you get to school and you're like, oh, that's a little bit of a stress. Uh, number four, this is actually a true statement, running four, number four, running out of toilet paper while on the toilet. <laughs> they said that's like one of the top five stresses, you know, for adults. Uh, number three, phone battery dying. Like it's getting close and it gets stressful. Like, well, what happens if, number two, being stuck in traffic when late, being stuck in traffic when late, and number one, losing keys. So losing keys, like, where are my keys? Anybody see my keys? And that begins to heighten the stress and anxiety. Now, we are the most stressed and anxious nation on earth, and yet with all the resources you have, you think it would lessen our anxiety as our society goes along, and yet it's going in the opposite direction. We're getting more and more anxious as each generation and each year goes by. Now, I've told you this, uh, that I've been on a, a journey of anxiety myself. And in fact, you can pray for me. I get to go on a plane ride tomorrow. So yay, excited about that. Uh, but I can tell you this honestly, by going through this series, it has been a huge help for me. And my hope that as we're on this journey together, that it has been a huge help for you as well. Because what we're trying to do is experience what God's word has to say about a promise of God. And God says that the peace of him, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding no matter what you're going on, you shouldn't experience peace, but you should experience a peace in him, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so to experience this peace that surpasses understanding, we've been using this acronym taken from Max Lucado's book, Anxious for Nothing, called CALM. CALM, to celebrate, to ask, to leave, and to meditate. So to celebrate, we say, rejoice in the Lord always. The Bible says, I will say it again, rejoice. You don't have to rejoice in your circumstance or situation, but when you're stressed, when you're anxious, can you find something to praise God for? Can you find something to thank God for and watch to see your anxiety begin to drop? Uh, then we said, number two, ask. Ask God. Go to him. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He is here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So don't let him be the last thing we go to when we run out of ourselves, but can he be the first thing that we turn to, no matter how big or how monumental the stress may be? 
And so we celebrate, then we ask God for help. He loves us. He wants to help us. And then uh, Hester talked last week about leaving those concerns, those anxieties, those requests to God. Didn't Hester do a great job last week? Didn't she do an awesome job? I love what she had to say. And she emphasized, you know, like going up to the top of a mountain, picture yourself leaving it there. You know it's there, but you've left it there and you do it with Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving and you watch your stress again begin to dissipate. And then lastly, which is what we're going to talk about today, is to meditate. Now, before we do, um, I believe that I've told you this story. When I was in fourth, fifth, or sixth grade, I can't remember the exact time, I stole money from my grandparents. Stole it from my grandparents, right? I mean, the stealing is not good, but when you steal it from grandma, I mean, it's just like a whole level of bad, you know, that you shouldn't enter. And so I stole money from my grandparents, and I was told later that my mom got a little anxious. Uh, she meditated and processed and worried about her son, so much so that she went to her friend, and her friend says, hey, how are you doing with this? She goes, I am so stressed. I cannot believe what my son did to his grandma of all places. In fact, one of these days, I'm going to visit him in prison. Her friend goes, whoa, how did we go from a fifth grader taking money from grandma to visiting him in prison? I mean, look at me now. I'm a pastor, and sometimes I'm in a church, and it feels like prison, but, you know, it's not, it's not the same kind of thing, you know, that we're involved in, you know, at this, this stage. Well, what had happened was her mind, right? She says, well, if this happens, and this is going to happen, and this may happen. She meditated. She thought about, and she went to what could happen instead of the reality of what is happening. And how many of us do the same thing? It's amazing how we can just get so fixated on stuff, isn't it? In fact, have you ever stopped to think about what you think about? Have you ever thought, what do I think about? Take a second right now, and if you could, even this morning, even right now, even this last week, what do you find yourself thinking about? What do you find yourself meditating on? What do you find yourself rolling through, you know, your head on a regular basis? What do you find yourself going on in here. In fact, Max Lucado says this in his book, Anxious for Nothing, your problem is not your problem, but it's actually the way you see it. It's the way you think about it. It's the way you process it. In fact, uh, one of the best illustrations of this comes from our Bibles. In the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19, you can look at that up later. So let me just kind of briefly tell you the story about a guy by the name of Elijah. Okay, Elijah, he's a prophet of God. And in Israel's history at this time, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel uh, have taken the nation of Israel and now they're worshiping the gods of Baal and Asherah. So they're not following the one true God, they're following these other gods. So God sends Elijah to King Ahab to give him this kind of challenge, this kind of report. He tells Ahab, send all of the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, and we're going to meet on the top of Mount Carmel, and let's invite the whole nation of Israel. So imagine how crowded the top of Mount Carmel would have been. And, and so it's going to be a God-off, you know, is what they have. It's kind of a duel. You think dance-offs are cool? This is even better. And, and, and so he goes, here's, here's the rules of what we're going to do. You build a sacrifice. You built an altar. And I, by myself, am going to build an altar. And what we'll do is we'll cry out to God, and the one true God, if there is a God that's out there, will bring fire from heaven and will light up. You know, it'll actually consume, you know, the, the sacrifice, the altar that has been given. So the people thought this was a great idea, and they agreed. So Elijah, being such a gentleman that he is, he looked at the prophets of Baal, and he says, you guys go first. So they start praying. Then they start shouting after a while, Oh, Baal, answer us, but no response. 
So they shout all the louder, Baal, answer us. Now, one of the things I like about Elijah that gives me some hope uh, is uh, even though he's a follower of God, he's a smack talker. (laughs) I kind of like that about him. In fact, you have to read this. I am not exaggerating what the Bible actually has to say about what Elijah decides to say about noontime. So now it's been several hours. He decides to begin to mock them. He begins to trash talk them just a little bit. He yells at them. He says, hey, hey guys, you're going to have to shout a little louder. Perhaps Baal is a daydreaming or he's relieving himself. It's what it says in God's word. You need to read it sometimes. You know, it's actually astounding what he has to say. You know, or he's on a trip or he's asleep. And so they get more mad and they start shouting even louder. Then they begin to cut themselves as a way of showing Baal, please answer us and nothing happens until evening. They're a little bit tired. And so now it's Elijah's turn. So Elijah says, hey, you know what? Let's make this a little more interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig, you know, like uh, around my altar. And we're going to pour water on top and we're going to just douse it, just make it completely wet. And then he says, God, we know you're the God, the one and true only God. Can you just show these people that? Whoosh, fire from heaven just consumes it. The people are like, oh, here's the one and true God. And so they destroy all the temples. They grab all the priests. They take care of all of them. And King Ahab runs home and he tells his wife Jezebel what happened. And she sends to Elijah this one, man, one, one sentence. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you. So what do you think Elijah does? does? I mean, he just, just God, from, fire from heaven. Okay, we don't see this very often today, do we? You know, fire from heaven just came down and Elijah runs for his life. He absolutely sprints, you know, for his life. He finds himself in a desert wasteland, crying out to God, please kill me now. I am so down, I'm so depressed. Why? Because this person, didn't even tell me in person, sent a message saying that I would be dead by the end of today. What in the world is going on with Elijah's mind? Then it got me thinking, when a woman speaks like that, you better listen. <laughs> right? It's like 800 men, you know, that, that, are, that are chanting and cutting themselves. But one woman says, I'm going to kill you. You're like, oh, okay. Those of you who are married know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> absolutely kidding, kind of, you know, in, in all that. So he's absolutely stressed out, right? He goes through this whole process. I'm the only one that's around. I'm the only one that follows you. His mindset in less than 24 hours is completely different. Ever been there? Or in one minute, you're on this incredible high, this incredible thing. Nothing could go wrong. Nothing's going to tear you down. And all of a sudden, it just takes a sentence. It takes a text message. It takes a word, and everything begins to change. See, our challenge is the way we think about our challenge. Our problem is the way we see it, not our problem itself. See, healing and moving from anxiety requires healthy thinking. You and I don't get to select, you know, our birthplace. We don't get to select our birth parents, our siblings, and many other things in our lives. We don't get to choose. But the greatest activity of life could be, well, within our dominion. You can choose what you think about. What you think about. So what do you choose to think about? What do you choose to meditate on? Don't miss this. What we think about determines who we become. What we think about. Romans 12, 2 says it this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How does God transform us into a new person? By changing the way we think 
uh, the way we think. Uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, uh, in her book, she's a follower of Jesus, called Switch on Your Brain, which I would recommend for all of you, says science is finally catching up with the Bible. I love that phrase. Breakthrough neuroscientific research is confirming daily what we instinctively knew all along. What you are thinking every moment of every day becomes a physical reality in your brain and body, which affects our optimal mental and physical health. These thoughts collectively form your attitude, which is your state of mind. It's your attitude, not your DNA, that determines much of the quality of your life. What she is saying that science is now proving it's not your brain that controls your body, it's your thinking that controls your brain, which, is, which produces the endorphins that actually controls your body, which controls the direction of your life and how you function and exhibit through each day. She's saying nobody's a victim. You may have had other things or harder things take place in your life, but you still get to choose on how you're going to respond to those things, which will determine the course of your day and the course of who you are. Like, for example, have you ever told a child, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, man, you've got a bad attitude, <laughs> right? Or in my house, you better change your attitude or else I'm going to change it for you and it ain't going to be pleasant, right? We've ever gone through something like that? Well, we take a breath and we have the chance to change our thinking. When we change our thinking, it changes our attitude, which changes the whole course of our day. You get to choose how in which you're going to face the day, regardless of the circumstances around. You are not controlled by the circumstances. You're controlled by your thought life. Process that. And it's not just by thinking happy thoughts. There have been millions of dollars made, millions of people with the power of positive thinking or uh, Tony Robbins who've actually helped a lot of people in a lot of different ways because they're this close to what the Bible has been saying all along. They have gone to the Bible and said, wait a minute, there's something here about the way we think that determines who we become in the course of our lives. The key, though, is the difference between meditation and biblical meditation is who or what we are thinking about. See, Philippians 4.8 says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Paul says in the same passage we've been looking at the last five weeks. Fix your thoughts, meditate is what he's saying, on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think, meditate about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, praise to God. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace, second time it's mentioned, then the God of peace will be with you. See, if you want to be happy and successful, and by that I mean specifically becoming more and more like the person that God created you to be, to make good choices in your thought life. It's as easy as that, but it's hard at the same time. See, little by little, your mind determines the person you'll become. Do you want to be happy tomorrow? Then sow seeds of happiness today. Count the many blessings that God has given you in your life. Memorize Bible verses, pray, sing worship songs, spend time with encouraging people, and you'll notice, wait a minute, this has been a good day, regardless of what's come your way. Or do you want to guarantee tomorrow's misery? Here's how. Wallow in mental mud pity or self-pity. Have a victim's mentality, assume the worst, beat yourself up, rehearse your regrets, focus more on what you're worried about, and complain to complainers. Guaranteed, tomorrow's going to stink. Bad. See, Satan in our sinful nature will lead us to a place of torment where we begin to have this self-talk, these self-thoughts. No one will ever love me. It's all over for me. Everyone is against me. I'll never lose weight, get out of debt, have friends, etc. What an incredible lie. 
See, no problem is unsolvable. No life is irredeemable. No one's fate is sealed. No one is unloved or unlovable. God is bigger. God is stronger. God is able. God is capable. And when you receive him, he allows you to think that way. And amen? Yet here's the problem. Uh, you ever have things just kind of pop up into your head? Like, I wasn't thinking that. And all of a sudden, this thought comes that it's not the most positive, healthy, or encouraging thought that kind of comes into our head, which is why if we're going to meditate on the things of God, we have to be aware that in a sinful world and with our own sinful nature that we have to take every thought captive in Christ. We have to actually grab it, take hold of it, and you do have the power to take hold of it. You don't have to let it dominate you. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we take captive, and then the strategy is to make it obedient. You get this call. Uh, the doctor would like to see you based on the test results that you have just taken place. So can you come on in this next week? And before you can say, oh no, you have a choice. Anxiety or trust in God. You have the choice of what your thought is going to go towards. Uh, see, anxiety or, 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 or um, worry or stress is almost like that cartoon. That's at least what I first remember. Remember those cartoons that had the devil on one shoulder and an angel on another? Right? I think we got a picture, you know, of, uh, of one of those, right? So you got the, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on another. So the, the, the devil is sitting there going, anxious, anxious, things are terrible, things are wrong, things are bad. Like, let me give you an example. Anxiety says, oh no, I'm in trouble. Why does God let bad things happen to me? Am I being punished? My family has a history of whatever this could be. It's my turn. I probably have cancer. Is this a brain tumor? Who will raise my kids? Who will pay my medical bills? I'm too young for this. No one can understand or help me. If you aren't already sick by now, you will be by the time you get to the doctor. That's this voice that's in our ears. See, anxiety weighs down the heart. The other side of it is that I can make a choice on what I focus on. We can take captive those thoughts in our minds and begin to put other things in here. See, we meditate on what is true, the Bible says. Honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. We think, we meditate about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. One of the ways this, this is uh, lived out in our household is uh, my daughter uh, comes to me a lot of nights when I'm putting her down, and she says right before she's about ready to go to sleep, she goes, Daddy, I'm having bad dreams. I'm thinking to myself, you haven't fallen asleep yet, so they can't be bad dreams. But what she has is these bad thoughts that are racing through her mind. So oftentimes I'll get up near her bed and I'll say, Angeli, let's think about what took place today. I said, can we, can we praise God that we have a dog that you love named Marley. She goes, oh, I love Marley. And I'm like, well, and think about, you know, what happened today that God has given you a great teacher that encouraged you. Remember when you told me that today? She goes, yeah. And remember the friend who was encouraging you today? Oh, yeah, that was good. Those are the things I want you to think about. And then she falls asleep. And we think, and when we get older, we don't have to go through the same thing in our own thought life, and yet we do. Take captive every thought, and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, you know, uh, a Tyler, you know, uh, our youth pastor, you know, mentioned this to me. He goes, uh, those things that pop into, uh, into our heads that we just can't even control, it's almost like somebody comes knocking at your door. You can't control who knocks at your door. <laughs> Worry, anxiety, stress, fear, finances, job, all, whatever it may be, but you can decide who you're going to let in to have coffee with. You can decide who's going to come into the door. 
Uh, another way to, to process this is you can't control sometimes. So guys, I'll talk to you for a second. You're walking down you know, the road and all of a sudden this incredibly attractive woman comes right along your path. You were looking for it, you weren't asking for it. Now all of a sudden you have a choice to make. All right, I gotta take this thought captive before the thought takes me captive. So I'm like, okay, don't wanna go down the lust train. And so here's what I wanna do. And here's what we often do, we make a mistake. The mistake is we start praying that we would avoid the lust train. So we're like, God, just please help me not lust with this woman that's coming my way. Please not let me not lust. Please help me not lust. And what are you doing? You're just repeating the same thing over and over and it's not helping at all. You actually have to take it captive. Now that you know, he's like, okay, I don't want it to have to hold of me. And you begin to pray the opposite. Let me give you a hint. Those of you guys who are married, immediately start praying and thanking God for your wife. It's amazing by the time that she has already passed you, what has now taken place in your mind does not have control over you. You've got control over it because you've taken captive and you have a game plan that you've put into place. See, another way to take our thoughts captive is to stockpile our minds with God's thoughts. And so here's an example. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You, God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Are we thinking about him? Do we know scripture enough to be able to have those pop into our mind? Matthew 6, Jesus says these words that many of us struggle with. If you're a worrywart, this is for you. That is why Jesus says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life. And then he begins to give a couple examples of their everyday life. Whether you've got enough food or drink, you might replace that with something else. Whether your job's going to be okay, your kids are going to be safe, medically you're going to be fine. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds, he says. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than any of they are? See, the, draw the logical conclusion here. If birds fall under the category of God's care, won't he care for us? Do we trust or do we have anxiety? Colossians 3, 2 says, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And this is where I've got some people say, well, I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. I kind of hear about these things and floating in clouds and streets of gold, but what else is going to be heaven's going to be like? So we thought it'd be important to spend the next three weeks talking about heaven. So I encourage you to come back. We're going to look at three weeks worth of what is heaven, what's it going to be like, and what are we going to experience, because it'll help us in our thought process here on earth. Uh, and here's where I can be honest. By my own effort, I can get there part of the way, but I can't get there all the way. I can't make it on my own effort alone. It's just like somebody deciding to work out. You need some additional help, which is why to take every thought captive requires us to cling to Jesus Christ. You can only do so much on your own. John 16, 33 says, I've told you all this, Jesus says, so that you may have peace in me. There it is again. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, the secret to anxiety-free living is less about doing and more about being in relationship with Jesus. And yet usually in our stress, spending time in connection with Jesus is the one thing that gets pushed out of our lives instead of the thing we run to because we're trying to deal with things in which we can control. Maybe that's just me. John 15 says it this way, remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot produce fruit unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of any spiritual value. See, isn't Jesus the personification of what is true, what is honorable, of what is right, 
lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise? Isn't he the one that we need to cling to? And so our next step today is to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. We have to focus on God. Meditate on him. God gives us the opportunity to be calm in the midst of stress, worry, and anxiety. I actually hope, this is going to sound kind of funny, but I actually hope that when we come across one another, whether it be in our homes or in our neighborhoods or even here at church, when we cross one another and you find someone who's going through stress, anxiety, or worry, that you might be able to lovingly look at them and just say, calm down. Right? Usually people get really irritated by that. Like, don't you tell me to calm down. I'll tell you to calm down. But in this case, you can remind them that we need to celebrate God during anxiety, that we need to ask God first when going through anxiety. We need to leave our anxiety with him, and we need to meditate on the things of God. And as a result, we will experience the peace of God. So here's what we want to do. We want to go into a time of prayer. And as we do, I want you to look at that list And say, which is the one I'm going to emphasize as we leave this series? Which is the one I'm going to choose to meditate on? Which is the one that I know that I need to work on maybe the most? Knowing that this is where I kind of fall in line. And may this be a reminder for us as we go from here. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for today. For the opportunity to connect with you and others. I pray, Father, that you wouldn't even now help us to identify which is the one that you're going to ask us to kind of focus in on. Help us to be calm. Help us to celebrate, to ask, to leave, to meditate on the things of you so we can experience the promise of you. Lord, if there's somebody here who's not yet received you, that's where it starts. We can't do it on our own. We need you. I pray they would surrender themselves by just simply praying in their heart and mind, Jesus, I give you my life. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.